Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Warning, this podcast contains spoilers for the season two premiere of Yellow Jackets, season one of Yellow Jackets, and the entire Scream franchise, including the latest edition in the Scream franchise, Scream 6. So be warned, Sydney. My name is Jason Concepcion. And I'm Rosie Knight. And welcome to X-Ray Vision, the Crooked Media Podcast, where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture. In this episode, on Previously On, we're going to briefly talk about the news uh, that came out about Jonathan Majors from over the weekend. In the airlock, we'll be on to Yellow Jacket Season 2, the premiere, where we will recap that very fun episode and... Maybe talk a little bit about some of the horror that we've loved so far this year. In the hive mind, we're going to have an interview with Scream 6 co-writer Guy Busick, which I cannot wait for. And in the nerd out, we've got a passionate plea from Lucas on the Monk and Robot series by Becky Chambers. We know there have been issues with the timestamps. We're working on that, but you can still check the show notes for those timestamps because they are there for you to reference. (laughs) Coming up, the previously on. Okay, first up on the previously on, some truly troubling news about Jonathan Majors uh, came out over the weekend, over the end of last week, uh, per People magazine, which actually has the police report, quote, on Monday, people obtained documents from the Manhattan District Attorney's Office that show Majors 33 was charged with three counts of assault in the third degree, aggravated harassment in the second degree, three counts of attempted assault in the third degree, and harassment in the second degree after he was arrested for an alleged domestic dispute on Saturday. Um, Some of the fallout for this includes uh, the Army uh, pulling majors from its uh, ad campaign. Um, The the Army currently embroiled in issues regarding its own problems with with assault, uh, cross-gender assault in its ranks, uh, violence. Uh, So uh, kind of very bad association with that. Um, we don't know much more than what is contained in the police report, and we're waiting for information to emerge, but truly not good news. A statement from Majors' lawyer says the following, that Jonathan Majors was, quote, the victim of an altercation with a woman he knows, and that the woman had recanted the accusation that video evidence and witness supported his account. Um, the statement continues, Mr. Majors is entirely innocent and did not assault her whatsoever. And there was an earlier uh, statement, I think not this one, in which uh, the same rep said something to the effect of uh, Mr. Majors looks forward to clearing his name completely or something to that effect. Obviously, this is not good. Not a lot of information to go on. And we're waiting for more information uh, before we say more about it, but obviously troubling. Up next, Yellow Jackets. Thank you. 
We're stepping out of the airlock for the season two premiere of Yellow Jackets on the beleaguered Showtime Network. (laughs) (laughs) Beleaguered. If you tried to watch it this weekend, you may agree with that statement. Well, let's talk about that for a brief second before we get into the recap. Originally, the show was supposed to come out at a certain date, but then it Mm -hmm. turned out not to be the date. What happened there? My understanding is that the show was released on streaming on the Showtime app, as they advertise, on the 24th. But the premiere date, as promoted multiple times, was Sunday the 26th, which is when it is airing on the Showtime network, going up against Succession on, on old HBO. Cable. On right, old like school on, cable. On broadcast, yeah. Okay. It was unclear at best, but... Uh, I will shout out to the Discord once again because so many people went in there and were like, guys, I just want to let you know, you can watch it right now. And luckily the internet knew and now everyone can watch it. And we have confirmed that that will be the release schedule going forward. You will always be able to watch it on the Showtime app on streaming on the Friday and on Sunday, you can watch it on old school cable. And we will be talking about it on our Wednesday episodes. Oh, folks, and it's a lot to talk about. (laughs) Woo! Okay, so it's me, Rosie. You can hear my voice. Not Jason's voice. (laughs) Shocking twist, just like this episode is full of. (laughs) This episode of Yellow Jackets has an unbelievable name that you will surely laugh or cry about once you see the final scene of the episode. It is called Friends, Romans, Countrymen, (laughs) written by Ashley Lyle and Bart Nickerson, the two of the showrunners, and directed by Daisy Von Schirlemeyer. Welcome back to the wilderness, baby. The girls are trying to survive a harsh winter and it is not going well. It's not going well at all. It's not going well. Travis and Nat have taken on the roles of full-time hunter-gatherers, which we kind of saw teased in the last season. But while that seems sensible, they are also entrenched in Lottie's strange wilderness rituals. Yeah, uh, you know, Lottie, who you may remember nearly uh, led a cannibalistic uh, murder and sexual assault. Very cl- it came very, very close to happening. Well, the sexual assault thing, I think you could argue, did, did actually happen. happen. The uh, murder did she not, almost, luckily. The murder only was stopped by Nat, yeah. who stopped Shauna <laughs> from splitting Travis's throat open with a knife. Um, and Lottie is continuing down that path of, uh, now remember, she has gone off her medication. Mm-hmm. She's neurodivergent in uh, some fashion. Bipolar or or I forget which it one is it is. Unclear. I believe unclear. that I believe Internet sleuths saw that her medication was uh, currently used. Uh, it was regularly used for people who have schizophrenia. OK. Um, I will also note that the mysterious nature of the show. We also know that Lottie has had visions that have come true. And there is a chance that potentially she is medicated for reasons unknown. And we kind of we kind of see that her parents are, have a distant relationship with their daughter and her mental health. But basically, she, I'm going to tell you she's not doing very well because when I, Travis when Travis and Nat go out, she makes them drink a tea that has her blood in it. Right. Not to <laughs> mention uh, the fact that if you, you know, if you're schizophrenic and you go off your meds, you definitely shouldn't medicate with uh, mushrooms, which is a thing yes. that happened and could be have very adverse effects. Also, dropping off dropping off any meds is like a recipe for disaster. Yeah, 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 not good. I will say to your point um, about her medication and her parents, I 
am eager to raise uh, the possibility that there is some kind of deeper conspiracy going on mm-hmm. here. But I'll get to I'll, I'll raise that. We'll get, get to that. To it. I love we'll that. Get I love to that. It. So it's the really interesting thing here is Travis kind of embraces it. He drinks the blood tea. He goes for it. And you're starting to see where we stand two months later now. Nat is not about this shit. She says it's not like this no, no. wicker bullshit is doing us good. But as Lloyd points out, they keep coming back from the woods alive, so drink that blood tea and head out on your way. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, is it working? And then, you know, we're going to get a kind of, this is foreshadowing, or we were right moment here. We see Lottie draw we the right. strange symbol we right. <laughs> that we now know is the symbol of her modern day cult. But before that, very interesting moment here. We skip to a year we haven't seen before, 1998. The and girls it's come a, home. Yep. It's a press frenzy, like absolute madness at the airport. They are not thinking about these children's mental health in any way, shape or form. They are absolutely raiding her. And no surprises, Lottie is dealing with it worse than anyone. She is silent. She won't talk. Her parents say she barely eats. And we immediately see them take her to the doctor. They request that they want her to be fixed. And soon she's getting electric shock therapy. Okay, so... In this scene when, uh, you know, we're watching the news reports of them uh, uh, coming back to civilization after their rescue somewhere in the woods, we hear the reporter say that they were, the plane crashed 800 miles off of the the flight path. Like it was, it was in a place where no one was even looking, Mm -hmm. leading me to ask. What is what is going on here? There's another plane there. There's like that part of the woods. There's something weird going on there. And what what would lead the plane to be over there in the first place? So you're asking the important questions. One, I will say as a as a devout hater of Lottie's parents from the first season (laughs) and the second season, I will say I think there's a very sad logical reason, which I don't think is going to be the answer, but I'll cover it first. Lottie's dad hired that plane. Lottie's dad hated having a kid with mental health. I think there's a very good chance that that was a way for him to get rid of this kid that he saw as a burden. But I think the reason you're asking important questions is because the reality is, as we see in this episode, we're really getting into lost territory here. Let's talk about it. We're talking about Bermuda Triangle, people getting potentially lost, planes ending up in this strange space. Something is drawing people here. And I don't think Lottie was wrong to say that. The forest is trying to keep them there. Yeah, I think you're right. And, well, in the modern day, we see Lottie at her wellness retreat, a.k.a. a cult. Yes. It, it's a cult. And in an interview that I wrote up at IGN, the creators kind of talked about how they were inspired by real wellness leaders and kind of people who had used their platforms to end up creating cults around them. It's called Camp Green Pine. Now, I just have to say something. <laughs> it looks like the wilderness where they were lost, right? I, I, like, it is, literally I, looks like she's just gone back to where they crashed. I am saying, I, I think when Lottie came back, part of the reason why she wasn't talking is because she fucking loved it out there. She yes. was in her element. She was having a great time. And then all of a sudden she's back in this place she doesn't want to be. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think, quite fitting that it appears that she has created a life that allows her to return to that energy. I completely uh, agree. And you know what? The the pink and uh, mauve and uh, purple uh, chore jackets are pretty nice. They're pretty <laughs> nice. Always beware when when 
uh, these wellness people start wearing the same shit. Yes. When it starts that you have a uniform, yeah. it's going to go badly. It's going to yeah. go badly. And, and she's giving like a speech that I think really speaks to your point, which is she's talking about like primal selves and, and how we all, we, we can only help ourselves. No one else can help us. And then she says something really interesting that, again, I think leads into our lost theory, where she basically says, it doesn't matter because it isn't real. And everyone just starts screaming, it isn't real, it isn't real. And you're like... Not good. (laughs) Not good, sounds bad. And after that very good 90s credit sequence, which, if you want to, you can go through at half speed and find many clips that will occur later in the season, just like they did in season one. I did an analysis at IGN about it. We come to a shocking revelation, which is that Shauna is being interviewed by the police about Adam's murder. And they're asking very chaotic questions because guess what? (laughs) It's not the police. It's Misty. It's Misty (laughs) with a voice transformer. A scream-style voice transformer. And again, you have to say here, okay, so Misty, one of my favorite characters in recent TV history, Mm -hmm. one of the most, for my money, one of the most original characters, you know, that I've ever seen on television. She is chaos she is amoral. She is, you know, if you had to put her in a slot, you'd say she's a villain. She's a murderer. We've seen her kill people. She's a murderer. She is probably the reason they were not rescued mm-hmm. uh, from the woods a lot earlier because she destroyed the the, the uh, transmitter. She made them all trip on mushrooms on and on and on and on. But she's also right about everything. Yes. I'm so glad you brought this up because one. Samantha Hanretty, Christina Ricci, unbelievable. I have to say, yeah. both, all of the casting in this show is like unreal how much they managed to get two different actors to portray the same character and make it believable. But I to- I'm so glad you brought this up because this episode especially proves they would be fucked without Misty. Absolutely they were fucked. Look, she, look, okay, did she break the black box? <laughs> Transmitter? Yes. Yes. yes, I have to, I will, I will admit yes, that. But they probably wouldn't have survived even the two weeks it took for them to rescue them if they, if she hadn't. Yeah. Without her, she was the one who knew the weird survivalist shit. She knew how to cauterize a wound. She is indispensable in the narrative world that they have created. And I love that that continues now because they had to call her to yeah. dispose of Adam's body. Now she's training, <laughs> she's training Shauna on how to and sh- stop, not not tell the police everything because Shauna and is she's useless gonna need that and training. chaotic. She's so she's bad. Gonna, Shauna is going to need that training. And it goes on and on. Natalie would have relapsed into mm-hmm. addiction if not And for we will get to that too because yeah. Natalie would also have just disappeared off the face of the earth and no <laughs> yeah. one would have cared. And if you're questioning whether... Misty's only doing this because she loves, you know, murder and terrible things. No, she even made Shauna a <laughs> giant. Yeah, she made Ju- Shauna a giant cookie that said, let me speak to my lawyer. She was like, she is a true friend. And in the world of Yellow Jackets, she is indispensable, even as like a crazy serial killer. I you are lucky to have agree. her on side. <laughs> Absolutely. And and the, they do not respect that. Shauna's kind of like boying her off and she wants to go back home and she's like, we're fine. Nothing's going to happen. Tysa is struggling because her wife found her blood sh- shrine yeah. at the end of last season, which we'll talk about more because I, I, I think they're playing a very interesting game with the way we perceive whether Ty really knows what's going on. But that comes to a head outside of her son's school where she tries to drop off a new dog, Steve. And uh, love Steve. He's so cute. It was, I was a big fan of this. S- Steve is actually also the best name, the name of the best character in the new Shazam movie. I hope, I hope <laughs> Steve makes it uh, for the entire season. Me too. I, I love Steve. 
Anna, I'm sure this is going to come into play, but her wife basically says, like, if you don't drop out of office and get some help, like, I'm going to the press. And, and by that's the way, the biggest as fear. she should, as she, she should, should. As blood she shrine, should. blood yeah. shrine. And it, I'd be, could you imagine if you saw your oh. potentially like psychotic ex who decapitated your pet and created a weird like uh, blood religious shrine in your basement all of a sudden that you're divorcing all yeah. of a sudden like also trying to pick well, up your child? Most, I think the most unsettling thing about that is not the fact that she made it, though that is obviously horrific. But also, you'd have to deal with the existential horror of the fact that it seemed to have worked. Because Tyson yeah. was going to lose the election. She's a and senator And then she now. did that, and now she's a senator. Um, Nat is nowhere to be seen in the modern day. Of course, we know she got kidnapped by Lottie's cult. And Shauna is just, like, unbelievably chill about the fact she killed a man and is now covering it up <laughs> very badly. In a very cool moment, Misty basically like seeks out the truth on her true crime boards to see if any citizen detectives are going to uncover what happened in Adam's death. And it does look like a faceless yet recognizable voice of Elijah Wood may be coming closer to the truth than Misty would like. So we're going to get that ice storm reunion sooner rather than later. And I will say, as a person who spends a lot of time on the Unsolved Mysteries Reddit, (laughs) the, the... the voicing of this, like the post itself mm-hmm. and the styling, felt very, Dude, very much what you would find telegram, actually on one of these boards. I was like, yes. this is, and I loved how in sync they are. There's this kind of, it's written as a telegram, something, stop, da-da-da, stop. And Misty's like, oh my God, this is getting tired. And at the same time, he writes, this is getting tired. Like, I'm tired yeah. of this. <laughs> they're, they're in sync already, and I wouldn't be surprised if, we saw Misty finally find a romantic. I was gonna say attraction because absolutely I, feel right? the same it way. Feels, that's it. Feels like that's gonna and happen. she's gonna have to like team up with him to pretend that they're solving the murder, but really she's gonna be stopping him. I mean, it sounds delightful. Uh, sadly, things are not delightful in 1996, where the rations are running low, which seems like it's gonna play into the further cannibal story arc that we will inevitably be getting to. If you remember the first episode of the first season where we saw the girls eating some kind of meat in these strange cult costumes. Now, good news. Turns out Jackie did survive her night in the forest because Shauna is playing mash with her and they're kind of talking about how she's going to be married to Jeff and it seems great. Oh no, that's not the case. Dun, yes. dun, dun, Jackie is dead. She's talking to a flat out frozen gray corpse. corpse that is hor- like horrific to look at. And for some reason, I would say trauma, grief, and uh, immense amounts of guilt. Shauna now, as Mari mentions, just chills in the meat shed with Jackie's dead body and then comes yeah. out with like le- like rations and says, oh, I was getting these. But everyone knows yeah, she's just, just kind of sitting. <laughs> yeah. And they really dissect. They play games together. We see it's this very fun Norman Bates-esque situation where... Shauna is talking about all the things she's guilty about, how her and Jeff got together, you know, yeah. the future that she wants to have. It It's really sad. And Sophie Nillies is so good. Like, again, great casting. You really feel like that's young Melanie Linsky. There's with Jackie and Shauna and then Shauna as an adult, there's something really interesting here about uh, like 
sexuality in, mm-hmm. in the sense of like attra- attraction, the things that turn a person on, but also shame. Yeah. Uh, certainly in the in adult Shauna's life, uh, we see this later in the episode. Oh, yeah. Her and Jeff, you know, she, she kind of uh, allows herself to be vulnerable about the mm-hmm. things that turn her on. And it's very interesting because, you know, Jackie and Jeff, uh, the issue there was that Jackie was not ready to have mm-hmm. sex with Jeff. And and Shauna, you could say, kind of used that as a mm-hmm. way to kind of pull Jeff into her web. And the way that represents in, in Shauna's psyche is really fascinating, right? Yeah, now. I think that's such a great point. I love that moment where she's taught that her and Jackie are arguing about it. Jackie says it was because... The reason we argued was because I wouldn't yeah. sleep with him, you know. And Shauna says, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. Because it's just her psyche. Jackie goes, yeah, you did. Yeah, you and did. And it's this great kind of personal argument about the way you can repress things that yeah. you're ashamed of and things that you did. And also, I feel like for the first time in this episode, we get it with a little bit with Van and Ty in the wilderness and we get it here. The kind of reminder of how different things were in the 90s about sex, especially for young women, about being queer or about being sexually active. But anyway, you know what? That doesn't matter because what ultimately ends up happening is that Shauna does not learn something from this. Shauna gets angry at her own psyche and her own dead best friend and knocks her over, knocking off Jackie's ear, which will set on a domino effect to the final moments of this episode that you will not believe. So, you know what? Instead of just leaving it there in the meat shed. She puts it in her pocket. And I, 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 I question I question the decision making, but I get it. <laughs> I get it. You know what? It's a tough Shauna time. Shauna is, is chaos incarnate. Oh, Shauna is. This is what I love about this episode. And I love how the beginning of this season, I feel like it was close to it at the end because Shauna killed Adam, but they, they kind of made narrative allowances. By the end of this episode, I'm like, Shauna is the chaos cyclone oh. that everything else happens around. I agree Everything with you. Bad. She is like a a, a high functioning freak. Yeah. You know, she puts she has this facade of mm-hmm. the regular uh, wife and mother. You know, living this kind of uh, upper middle class suburban life. Like after the uh, terrible things that happened, yeah. because of the crash and when she was a teenager. But in reality, inside, she is just. A mess. Yeah, a and mess. I, I think that's why the show speaks to so many people because there's so many great moments about like the perception. Shauna is the unsatisfied suburban housewife, but she wouldn't hurt anyone. But in that first season, you ever just kill that rabbit who's in her garden? Yeah. She has this violence and this fury in her that she may hide better than someone like Misty, but it's still there and it makes these characters just ultimately compelling. Well, and Misty, kno- Misty knows who she is. Like her yeah. lies come from the fact that she knows who she is. And she is. needs to hide it. It, it. Right. And she understands that. She understands mm-hmm. that the world would reject her. Shauna, is, Shauna hates her life, hates yep. everything about her life, how normal it is. She, she has always kind of... We see her. She's scared could, of becoming it, her mom and marrying Jeff and yes. living that suburban life when she's a teen. But that's exactly what happens to her. And so she's always kind of craved a more kind of dangerous existence, but at the same time been afraid to, like, go after it. And Mm -hmm. so she is drawn to these situations that could just blow up her life. Like, that is the thing she can't stop getting involved in is, like, anything that could absolutely 
melt her entire life down, destroy everything, turn her daughter against her, turn her husband against put her, her in prison, stu- put her in prison. That is the stuff that attracts her. Yeah. And we actually and get a, a really, we get a great glimpse of that too, because we start to see that Shauna isn't actually that bothered about covering up Adam's murder at all. Um, at all. And she is, out of all the girls in the 90s, she is dealing with the crash the worst at this point. Misty, she's doing okay. She's a little bit upset that she's been cut off from cooking duties, seeing as she poisoned everyone with mushrooms. Yeah. And not only that, but purposefully poisoned assistant coach Ben. Yeah. Um, this is also interesting here because we basically get a look at the JV squad who were barely in the last season. You lots might have of, seen a couple of, of them. Red shirts. Yeah. But but now they take center stage, including a new cast member who plays this kind of theater-level crystal who's humming a lot and annoying everyone and breaking into song. Very good, weird, sketchy character. I love her. And the best thing is that we get this moment here that kind of shows that her and Misty might become friends as long as Misty doesn't mind, like, harmonizing with her. (laughs) Yes. And it's like the offer's too good for Misty to turn down. As someone who's always seeking out friendship and who has yet to find any kind of friend in this kind of yeah, terrifying it's be extremely hard yeah and i think uh, that's one of the things richie does so well here is she she puts across this desperation this like trying too hard that makes you understand why it might push people away yeah. but it's incredibly empathetic and feels just really sad it's such a great nuanced performance that manages to be scary and hilarious and sad and compassionate and creepy it's so good and in uh, the last two that we kind of catch up with in the past are Van and Ty, who, this is very interesting to me. I guess I hadn't really realized until this episode that their romance was entirely secret from the other girls. Right. This is I, something that they are keeping. We hear girls reference, oh, why are they always the hanging 90s. out? Exactly. Again, are they the talking 90s. about their boyfriends? All this kind of stuff. I found that to be very interesting because I think that's setting up a potential future conflict. And also... It separates them off from the rest of the group, which bodes badly because Ty has been having these violent nighttime outbursts. She's been hurting Van. She's been climbing up trees. She's been eating dirt. And it's gotten to the point where Van and Ty now sleep in the attic with their arms tied together by rope. So it's a desperate situation. But they love each other. Yes. <laughs> they will only continue. They will only continue. They'll only continue to get more dirt. And let's be real. We know Van is essentially immortal. She survived yeah. that plane crash. Apparently, she survived getting mauled by a wolf. She is our immortal gay, and I love her. <laughs> X-Ray Vision will be back. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
And we're back. In the present, in one of my funniest moments, I have watched this episode so many times at this point yeah. because of writing different stuff about it and watching it for the pod and everything. So Jeff's failing business that he had to go to a loan shark I love for this detail. Yeah, I love this detail. is now doing exceptionally well since his to wife the... murdered. Like he he answers the phone, he's talking about this is McDonald's because I'm selling six pieces like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> This man is loving life and the business is doing great since Shauna murdered Adam, which I'm saying is a blood sacrifice that went right. Like, I gotta say, right? uh, yeah, I gotta <laughs> say, I, I am still holding to the idea that most of this stuff is just kind of like in the eye of the beholder. Exactly. But it is really interesting right? that all of a sudden his business has just gone through the roof There's after so his many wife people stabbed there. that guy yeah. in the guts. It's it's really fun because that's what I think I'm loving the most about returning to this world is they're giving us so much power in our subjectivity. Is it supernatural? Is it not? Is But yeah. after like the fourth time I watched the episode, I was like, shit, why it is Jeff's be, business yeah. going well? I was like, this <laughs> seems like it wasn't intentional, but apparently in this world, if you just murder someone, like something good's going to happen to you. Um, speaking of weird cult shit, in the past, we kind of learned that Travis is just completely consumed by the quest to find his brother, Harvey, that we last saw him on the Doom's Coming Night where he yeah. missed, where he ran away after they were trying to orgy murder his brother. And a, I mean, a troubling thing, and I understand it. Yeah, yeah, we get his feeling. I mean, this is, ironically, I kind of love that they wrote this into the plot. It makes sense because it's his brother, but it's also the thing that every viewer wants to know. Where yeah. is Harvey? Where is Harvey? Harvey wasn't Adam. They did say they'd considered, in the creators said that in season one, they'd considered Harvey being... Adam and Adam being Harvey, but they decided not to do it. So where is he? Is he still alive? Did he die in the wilderness? Travis is like seeing dead foxes and thinking it's his brother. It's it's Nat's like supporting him. She's going out and searching for Harvey every day, even though it's winter and it seems unlikely that he would be in any way alive. But this is a show where people can survive a wolf attack. And what and everybody, everybody, I think he's alive simply because everyone is like, there's no way. Yeah. No. Exactly. Like the amount of people telling him that there's no way he's alive mm -hmm. tells me that he's got to be out there. Exactly. And in a very weird moment, Lottie gives him like a saucy boner inducing fireside vision when he's right. having a panic attack. She like puts her hand on his chest and shows him this tree stump that is kind of pulsing with life. And she says, Harvey's OK. And obviously Nat's like, fuck you. Like, say yeah. less. You can't say that shit. That is, she's like, say a lot fucking less, actually. Like, yeah. this is bad. You can't say that to him. But that, again, to me, I am, I believe that we could see Adult Harvey this season. And I believe he may well be with Lottie. Yeah. She could, she, she seems to have some kind of uh, survival instincts within this forest. Like you said, it's somewhere that she feels like she's thriving. Maybe there's somewhere that she's hidden him away or she's kind of keeping him secluded and, you know, inverted commas, safe. We also learn something interesting here again, which I think really leads into the lost of it all, which is like Nat, while she is helping Travis look for his brother, is actually like making a map yeah. and marking out the territory where they map. are. It's yeah. good. And she's, you know, she's using topological like sketches to show mountains. And she's doing this in secret with Coach Ben. 
But there are like weird things about it. Like they're not finding any game. The animals are just gone. And it kind of, it's a very big map. So I think we're going to start to see some hints that maybe everything is not what it seems. But like you said, it's all about perception. I wonder if this is going to end up being some like top secret former military mm-hmm, installation mm-hmm. like X-Men 2, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like or like like, I, like strikers string, yeah, mm-hmm. like strikers like a uh, facility that created mutants like Dude, far in Canada, something like that. That's like the beleaguered showtime they're like, you know what we need? <laughs> we need Wolverine. We're just putting yeah. him in. This is uh this is old man Jonathan. He's been living it. No, I think you're right though like essentially some kind of X-Men 2 Stranger Things kind of situation where it's like, this is a weird military base. There's a reason your plane would end up there. There's yeah. a reason there was another plane there. There's a reason there's a cabin there, you know, and there's a reason why you're 800 miles away. I think that could be yeah. a very interesting and quite likely twist. Um, you know what? Even if that was the truth, then some of the girls got out and somehow one of them was Shauna, who is... A true fool. Like, I am yes. every day mad at Shauna. She kept Adam's belongings. She said to Misty she destroyed everything. But actually, she's, like, looking emotionally at his ID card. She's dreaming <laughs> of going to prison. Like, and she's, like, calling up Jeff at his very successful furniture business. And she's like, hey, we got to destroy Adam's things, including his art studio, where I definitely never went and definitely didn't have sex with him or kill him. And I heard this- it's somewhere close. So this, let's I, go. What a now I, I think that Shauna is so repressed because this is such a bad idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, so bad. Like this it's is like such a bad idea. Annals of bad ideas that have been and bad plans in television. This is up there in like top five. Like, don't it's do it. It's up there. It's way, way up there. And the only way it makes sense is that Shauna is so repressed that what mm-hmm. happens there. Is the thing she wanted to happen all along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a reason that she went there. And that's the only way she could get. And the thing that is most interesting. So this also, I will just say, this is one of my tinfoil hat theories that I'll throw out there. They get there, stinks of weed. There's somebody next door who was Adam's studio mate who's blaring music. What if that's Harvey and that's how Adam knew so much about Shauna? (laughs) That's my theory is Harvey was Adam's friend. And they were like scheming on her together. But anyway, they get in there. And shock horror, the art studio is actually filled with pictures of Shauna in uh, varying states of undress. They're very beautiful. Now, I will say that if I were, if Misty was there, I think Misty would have probably been like, A, don't do this. But B, leave these up because then you can say this guy was stalking you and you killed him in self-defense if they catch you. Just saying. But Jeff and Shauna are extremely fucked up. And I'm starting to believe also have probably killed at least one person before. Yeah. It really feels they're, like why it. Are they, they are just like... Uh, they're so chill they're about ready it. to do it. Yeah, they're and, ready to do this. Uh, they decide to get down to business. But hint, I'm not talking about destroying the paintings. They... <laughs> Shauna, like, she starts telling Jeff about how much it turns her on to think of him cheating and how she's no longer ashamed of who she is. And they sort of, you know seems like they're going to get it on. It's unclear, I feel like, at the end, whether that was something that happened. I I think, like, they tried. I couldn't tell whether Jeff was ashamed it happened or he kind of got uncomfortable in the middle, which, understandable, seeing as you're fucking your wife in the studio of the man that she murdered. 
I could understand yeah, why and then you you're might... helping to cover it up and yeah. are actively helping her to destroy evidence of the crime. Exactly. Like, there's a lot going uh, on there to yeah. just focus on sex. Also, I would say, again, terrible ideas that have been had in history and covering up murders. Just like turpentining out the faces yeah. on these paintings is like so sus. And I know that they definitely missed one. So this was just a terrible idea all around. Yeah, either it, either burn the entire. Here's what I thought. I burn thought the they were whole burn it. down. Yeah, burn the what, whole what's building one down. More murder of the next yeah, guy, what, or whatever <laughs> it is, or take all the paintings and burn them. But don't one fuck in the place, leaving DNA and hair and well, who knows oh what God. other evidence so there. So much. Like, you do not want to go in there with a black light. You are going to yeah. get caught. This is a terrible idea. Then, like, destroy the paintings in a way that anybody walking in would be like, what the fuck happened to these? <laughs> right? Yeah, like, oh, then, I, be- I better find out who these are of because they were obviously the person who did the turpentining. Yeah. What's happening? Just, like, <laughs> such bad choices and plans. And if she'd have just called Misty, then... It would have been fine. And I want to say, I did not include this in the full recap because it's not necessarily story relevant. But I do have to say, one of the best scenes of this episode happens after this, which is when Jeff goes and sits into his car and listens to Papa Roach, This Is My Last (laughs) Resort. He's into it. He's like hitting the the wheel and he's feeling so angry about Shauna. And it's just such a good, weird character moment. Loved it. Speaking of good, weird character moments, there is like this great sequence of events where Misty goes to show have a showdown with the motel manager or of the place where Nat was staying. She wants to know what happened. He won't tell her anything. Uh, Larry, the motel manager, is like probably the first person who's ever said no to Misty when she tries to blackmail him. It's so funny. It's so good. And eventually she kind of just like annoys him and gives him creepy Cheshire cat grins until he says, well, she left. She paid in the middle of the night. And Misty's like absolutely heartbroken because she kind of believed that odd couple. She's been abandoned again. Yeah. yeah, and she thought that odd couple friendship that they'd built while looking for the truth of what happened was something real. And then she realizes once again, Misty coming through with the win, the only observant person, the only clever person, the only person paranoid enough to know what's going on. She notices that the door jam of where of Nat's old room is splintered. And she realizes that Nat was kidnapped. The true hero of Yellow Jacket strikes once again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck? Um, Nat is still alive. Good. Love Juliette Lewis, smashing it in this performance. Uh and she is pissed. She's tied she, to a bed. As one would be. Whew, she is absolutely furious. In So then we get a new character here. We get uh, Nicole Maines, who's so brilliant. Um, and she comes in and, and she looks a lot like Lottie. That was my read. I felt like, is this Lottie's daughter? Like, and I, she... I, I thought the same thing. Yeah. Because I will tell you what I think. And that is there's a lot of weird sex shit happening in this cult. Absolutely. I don't no know question. it for a, I don't know it for a fact yet. But what I've seen thus far of Lottie's uh, mm-hmm. life and career as a Wiccan priestess lead me <laughs> to believe that there's I a lot agree. of weird sex shit happening in this cult. Completely this. And also it just feels Yeah, it's giving off the weird sex cult vibes. We know that they were taking from real life inspiration. That is something that's been very relevant recently. It feels weird. But 
This young girl is like, she's green in the captivity game. Yes. They should not have sent her to be in charge of Nat. Nat is a true survivor. Like, she will do anything to survive. And she does, essentially, like, playing this kind of cat and mouse game, nicing up the girl, and eventually getting a fork and stabbing her with it so she can escape. I mean, that, is, that was fucking ruthless shit. That shit was badass. I mean, she went for the yeah. eye. Like, she yeah, would have oh, killed yeah. her, but luckily oh, the yeah. captor kind of, she, she, you know, she she blocked it with the hand, and now she has a fork in her hand, which she probably doesn't feel too lucky about, actually. And Nat is out of there, like, boom, not, this is not happening to me, you are incorrect. She is also, I, at first I was like, oh, she's running away. But no, she's going to find Lottie. Like, she's, yeah, she's ready like, to fight. Like, she fucking knows. And this is great, because before this moment, they're really playing with our expectations. We see Lottie. Lottie is arguably like the only one in the group who's kind of doing any kind of processing of what happened. She seems to be wealthy. She seems to be successful. So this is like a great moment because until now, what we've really seen of Lottie's cult is like, it's a wellness place. People yeah, there look healthy. Health. They look healthy. They're in the beautiful yeah. nature. They're wearing creepy robes. But maybe that's just our own perceptions of what a cult is. No, because when Natalie gets into those woods, she sees people with terrifying like animal masks yeah. and they're burying a man alive. Yes. And yes. It seems like he's into it. I would hope so. <laughs> I certainly listen. I I think, uh, you know, as a person who spent a lot of time around hippies mm -hmm. earlier in my life, younger in my Same. life, and have seen seen the hippies kind of grow up. I know a lot of people who have become ensconced in different levels of of the wellness lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is like, hey, drink this tea and you'll never get sick, that kind of thing. You know? yeah. And it goes beyond just the kind of like eat organic, that kind of like everyday kind oh, of yeah. it's a totally uh, interactions with the economy that you can that you can do. It's it's I think for people who have been around it or been in the in the kind of orbit of it, yeah. this felt very much like a thing that I could see people I know getting involved in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I think again, it's all about like you're saying, it's all about the eye of the beholder. Is this just this way of Lottie kind of recreating in a safe, inverted commas, space, the feral nature of being in the forest? Is it something that people want to connect with and pay a lot of money for? Or is she really doing some weird, like, blood ritual? That's still very up in the air here. But Nat is, like, legit about to, like, cave Lottie's head in with a branch. Oh, yeah. Like, she's Absolutely. like, why the fuck shouldn't I? And Lottie is extremely chill, like, to a pat point of being patronizing. And she absolutely knocks Nat for six by telling her, like, you, you don't want to do that because I've got a message. And it's from Travis. Bah, bah, bah. <laughs> and obviously you're like, wait a minute. Well, that actually, if I was Nat, I'd be like, well, fuck you, because didn't you wipe his bank account before yeah, you murdered yeah. him? So, like, what yeah. kind of message? But Nat is in a very unstable place. Juliette Lewis does this bit of face acting specifically with the way she kind of grinds her teeth over her lips in this scene that is just fucking heartbreaking yeah. like she knows there is probably nothing honest and real about what lottie is about to tell her but she wants to hear that more than anything in the that talent moment. in the show is off the charts Ooh. the acting talent is very it's great yeah and and we kind of get this very interesting moment in the present here that i think is very well handled and kind of Tawny Cypress again, give her all the props. 
she creeps into the underpass underneath her house, finds her blood shrine, and is like half shocked, but also not shocked. And then yeah, not shocked enough. Not for shocked me. enough. Like she, <laughs> yeah. it's almost like when she sees it, she kind of realizes. And then, oh. in case you weren't sure that she was the one who was culpable for this blood shrine, I was she, not sure. Right, last season. Yeah, and and I wasn't either because. And even earlier on, like when her wife was yelling at her and she was like, I don't know. But then when she was like, oh, fuck, and hitting the... But in this moment, she turns to Steve, good old Steve. We'll be rooting for you, Steve. Push, and she says... Push, Steve. And she says, oh, no, don't worry. Like, that was a mistake about I'll her do dead dog. With you. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? Like, you weren't supposed to kill him? I mean, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, like, what? Do I, I'm like, what? Like, this was an accident. I'm guessing... So from what we've seen, especially we get this... We get some great moments here with her and Van. It seems like this sleep disorder that she has where she sort of is violent in her sleep. She's the woman in the tree. She climbs up. Disassociates or something. Yeah, yeah. some kind of disassociation. That implies here, I think, that she was in that state when she did it. But I was cracking jokes when she was like, sorry, Steve, I'll do better. And I was like, Ty, get some help. Creating a whole shrine, decapitating your dog, setting up little trinkets down there. That's a lot of work when you're asleep. Yeah, that's like, what I'm saying. How the... did she get down there? Like, when did she murder the dog? The dog went missing before he ended up in the shrine. Like, this seems at least a slight plan. Maybe, I guess, a, a, a tinfoil hat throw it out there is she was still in contact with Lottie or someone right. who was involved in this blood tr- cult kind of situation and she delivered the dog but didn't know what they would do with it nah I think she did it but I'm just saying I think that Lottie somehow Mm -hmm. has been able to place like a post-hypnotic suggestion in Tysa and I think I could definitely see that and and I think because she wants to promote whatever it is Mm -hmm. that she's doing and you get a powerful state senator elected and now all of a sudden things get easier for you and whatever, you know, whatever you want. she already has a lot of power. You get tax exempt, right, maybe you get tax exempt status Mm -hmm. for your cult, whatever, (laughs) like whatever it is, right? But I think that she did that to Tysa and I think she's trying to do that with everyone. Put somehow break their minds and put something in there I like that, that well, we, she can trigger. And I think she's triggering these outbursts. We know outbursts. that in cults, they use hallucinogens yeah. to break people's will and stuff. So we could see that multi, it's almost like, you know, has Lottie been setting up her own like Black Widow network or scroll network <laughs> where she just like triggers yeah. people by saying like a certain word? something like well, that. Think yeah. about it. Imagine if Ty and Lottie had stayed in touch and she was like, I'll send you these wellness drinks. They'll help with your sleeping. Yeah. But really, she's drugging her and kind of giving her yeah. strange hypnosis. I love this. And I love, like you said, I think there's a great version of this, which will I'll, we're getting close to the end. And I think near the end, you could say subverts this a little bit. I like this idea that Lottie could be the nightmarish cult leader who's planning all of this, or she absolutely could not be and is just like a wellness yeah. scammer. And it I think that, that too. So She's just a scammer. Exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And although kidnapping, like uh, uh, we know, for, we know, at, we know at the very she's least got, they're involved she's doing in criminal kidnapping. shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We know she's doing some criminal. She's at least kidnapping people. You know. Yeah. I would say in the theory, you could argue that there's a version where it's like she kidnapped Nat because she was relapsing. Cults do right. stuff like that. You know, I, so, I wanted to help you. Exactly. With your, uh, addictions. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, it's really interesting stuff. And then we get it's really funny because we there's this brutality of the 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 scary sheep masks and, and Nat and this. And then you go to this kind of 
suburban ideal of Jeff and Shauna, who are just so much scarier than Lottie could ever be. And <laughs> and they decide that they're going to get rid of Adam's belongings by burning them on a barbecue, but then immediately cooking food on the plastic fire. I mean, what is wrong with them? Throw the stuff away in different places Bury around it? town. Throw it down Something? the sewer. In the, but, like, especially when, as we have seen, mm-hmm. Jeff and Shauna's daughter Callie is... All up in, in Shauna business. in particular's business, yeah. kind of being the worst as teenagers often are. But like, oh, being she's the, the worst. fucking worst. She's the fucking worst. But you know, and the funniest thing is, this is how good. Again, the performances of writing. Her but mom Callie's is a murderer. But you're worst. literally like, Callie, you are the fucking worst. Like, why are you one trying to snitch on your mom? Like, your mom is crazy. But like, leave her be, man. Like, why yeah, are you in her, her business? She's going through a lot of shit. She's yeah, going she's, through a lot of shit, yeah. having affairs and murdering people. You weren't on that plane. You dressed yeah, you up for Halloween know. in you your mom's. Know cheerleading costume like you are the worst um and and i was just bl- it blew my mind that jeff was like yeah we'll just grill up some franks on here i was like are you hey, trying jeff, to kill yourself like this is jeff's i mean moron. they set fire to a tree <laughs> they they eat these nasty plastic franks and basically like callie as you pointed out is like fuck you i don't want to eat this shit and you guys have got some sus shit going on and as the episode comes to a close we see callie discover Adam's ID card. Bomb, bomb. But you got to make sure that shit is burned. Bro, Shana it's literally Jeff. his face. Like, you could have <laughs> just swallowed it. Only just reason. Some, some way. Like, you, that was that. terrible. Come on. Chop it up that. with scissors. Yes, you just can't have his face. Does. His face is there. Peter Gadois' uh, beautiful face. And he's looking yeah. up at Callie. And Callie is like, I'm going to fucking take this bitch down. Like, uh. Callie's ready. Her teenage resentment of her mom is going to take down her whole family if she's not careful. You gotta burn you know that what? shit. I'm going to tell you, I believe Shauna would kill her own daughter. She <laughs> would do it. Like, I believe it. So Callie should watch her back because it's going to end badly for her. Um, we get like a rare bit of sweet wilderness news as Ty and Bang kind of tell each other that, that they cute. love each other. Yeah, um, very cute. But it only happened after Ty almost ripped Van's lip off. Yeah, in a kind not... of nighttime violent trance. But I think they're setting something up here. We don't get to see Lauren Ambrose, who plays adult Van. We know she got cast earlier this year. Yeah. Um, we don't get to see her here, but I think they're basically establishing like Van isn't scared of Taisa. Van accepts Taisa for who she is. Van, even Love with Taisa's nighttime trances, all this stuff. And I would assume that we will see Ty return to Van as that kind of place of safety. That's my guess. It could be something else. I think the clip of uh, van that we see in the credits kind of sees her being distracted by somebody knocking on her door or something, which feels very similar to Nat's kidnapping. So maybe it won't be that sweet, but that's kind of where my gut is going with it. Um, Travis and Nat on their little excursion discover what looks to be the magical tree from Travis's sexy vision. Yep. And it's yep. still blooming in the middle of winter. So that's strange. Yeah. Fake tree, maybe, if we're talking about like a military base, something I'm like that. I'm telling you. Weird I'm... chemicals, like the old, like it's the old beach. Mm-hmm. Like something like the, this is like a poisoned area with Ooh. weird hallucinogenic chemicals that are doing weird shit. Oh, that's a good uh, idea. I like that. The idea that something's seeping into the ground yeah. and even the meat they're eating is actually infected yeah. by it. Like that. they're always, what if they're always eating a low level of whatever these, yeah. whatever has suffused the landscape, yeah. you know? Also, I will say, I was rewatching the first season when I was doing the recap for the show and I'm writing about it. 
Misty found a lot of magic mushrooms very, very quickly. She had a they were file just like folder. They yeah. are just there. So I think you could be onto something that they, there's kind of some kind of infusion that's making them have this kind of group hysteria. And really, Nat is so far the only one who doesn't seem to have bought into it at all. Um, but all of that, great episode. Love this episode. But it's all basically irrelevant because the big news of this episode is that the cannibalism has finally begun. And Yay. I will say, yay! <laughs> it's what we've all been waiting for. The crowd goes mad. Cannibalism, cannibalism. I was shocked to see who the first cannibal Me too. turned out to be. They did a great job, as we said, in this episode. They set up and they set up and they set up this kind of chaotic black hole in the middle of the show. And it is Shauna. So by the time this happened, I yelled, but I was like, oh. So the final moment of the show, which is just so good and so gross, Sean is just chilling, walking around the cabin, and she just pulls Jackie's ear out of her pocket, uh, and she uh, holds it close, and she just uh, swallows it. And there it is. And her friend has been dead for two months. And there's the title of your episodes, Friends, Romans, Countrymen. <laughs> Let me in it. <laughs> That's so good. Oh, okay, okay. Questions that I have for you after this episode. So I want to know, is Shauna the antler yeah. queen? <sighs> we all feel like it's Lottie because of the cult and like the kind of the regality and we saw Lottie wearing a headdress. But I'm like, if Shauna is the first cannibal, is she the one who spreads it within the group? Gosh, I don't know. I would not be surprised, but I also would not be surprised if... It's this, it's the junior varsity become the people closest <gasps> around. Oh my God, I love uh, that. Around Lottie that become the people that mm -hmm. she, you know, the younger, more impressionable, they don't know her as well. And she's able to kind of create her identity with them. I, I do wonder if it's going to be them who are the closest yeah. around her. I think that makes a lot of sense, especially because the one person we know was in that circle is Misty. And if Misty makes that connection with Crystal, she would likely tag along with whatever kept her in the friendship yeah. group, the popular group. Also, that makes a lot of sense because then you can assume that the older girls may actually become the prey. Because we still have that big mystery from the first episode. Who was the girl running through the forest? You know, who was the girl that they slit her throat and they potentially ate her, though we can't confirm or deny that. Off that, how much do you think Shauna and the rest are aware of what Lottie is up to these days? That, I think, is the biggest question of this season. Right? I think the fact that Nat, like, breezed out there and just immediately knew that she was yeah. looking for Lottie and was screaming for Lottie makes me think that Lottie might not necessarily be that secretive. But I will also say... We know she's not like a celebrity wellness person because the final line of the last episode was Nat's ex-AA uh, sponsor basically saying to her, who the fuck is Lottie Matthews? Yeah, so yeah. it's not it's not someone who is actually, she's not like famous. But I, I, I think like to me, I actually think the biggest bet I have now is that Shauna knows I just think Shauna knows. Shauna, I think Shauna probably kept tabs on Lottie because then she could be another one of those intrusive thoughts and secrets that constantly yeah. promises to burn intrusive down her life. Thoughts. Yeah, like, think, yeah. oh, what if somebody found out that I knew? And then that leads to the next question, which is, you know, we were saying, like, is the captor who was fighting with Nat, who got the fork to the hand, was that Lottie's daughter? 
I think that's like a good bet. I think it's a good bet as well. But uh, my name is Dan, one of our Discord users. He brought something up that people in our Discord were very into, which is, is that character that Nicole Maines plays actually Shauna's wilderness baby? Whoa! Dun, dun, dun! Because I, you know what? My timelines, right? We need to find out what happened to the wilderness We baby. need to find out what happened to the baby. We're back to the baby conversation again. We yes, need to know. To Babies! It. Because like, I like that one too. Me too. Because also the thing is, right, so I, hilariously, I just like didn't, my, I'm not good at maths, first of all. And second of all, the, the narrative of the show was so engaging that I kind of just hadn't really put together that it was 25 years since, even though yeah. they say it many times. But like, to me, I was just like, well, maybe Callie was the baby. Like, how old could you? And then it was this episode where I was like, oh, no, that's like Callie's like a teenager. This is that's right. not the wilderness baby. That's like a different baby. So who where is the wilderness baby? Uh, I will say super producer Saul. I'm going to put this one out there. It's a very bleak tinfoil hat theory. So cover your ears if you don't want to hear it. Oh, no. He, he suggests maybe they ate the baby. Yeah, did they eat I the mean, baby? It could, it, it could, it could happen. be the case. I, I, I will say that if. Lottie has been raising the wilderness baby. How would she get the baby? How, mm-hmm. Here's what I here's how I think it could happen. Okay. Shauna, we've seen that she has shame issues, guilt issues, mm-hmm. particularly around her her uh, expressions of her own sexuality, yeah. which the baby is living which proof the baby of. Baby is maybe they get rescued and Lottie says, "You know what? I'll say it's mine." Mm-hmm. I'll say I got I think pregnant that could on, definitely I'll happen. I'll say I got pregnant in the forest and I'll say it's mine. Mm-hmm. Um and maybe, maybe this whole thing with this mysterious guy all of a sudden coming out of nowhere to mm-hmm. like proposition her sexually may, and uh, this whole affair that happened that resulted in murder. I would not be surprised if Lottie's pulling the yes! string on that as okay. well. Okay, I love that theory because I do think that Adam being a follower of Lottie's, yeah. whose job was basically just to unsettle and kind of upset Shauna and play on those weaknesses that... Lottie knew she had. I think that's very legit and very likely. I I think Nat probably knew what Lottie was up to, but didn't care. The one, the funniest shit is Misty seems like the one who's probably like least bothered because she was probably like, well, Lottie was never my friend. These girls were my friends. Like, I I feel like I could tell Misty anything. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Whatever has bothered me, whatever I've done that I'm ashamed of, I feel like I could tell Misty and Misty would be like, it's fine. Here's how we fix it. (laughs) Final question, speaking of our beloved Misty, is like, so she killed the the, the PI that Tysa hired, Jessica, at the end (laughs) of the last season. Is that going to come back and bite her? Or is she just like a cool... It has to, come on. Yeah, it feels like it it has has to. to. I feel like that and Adam's death are going to be these kind of dueling things that threaten to take them down. But I also like the idea that she's like a Killing Eve, like early season Killing Eve style killer who just kills people and just gets away with it. I'll make a I'll make a tinfoil hat prediction. I think it's going to be her parrot that undoes her, <gasps> that puts her at risk of suspicion oh, for that murder. That is I think such a parrot, good call. I absolutely love that. I think the parrot's going to start saying murder shit. Gonna yeah, start I think that's stuff absolutely that. true. Also, the parrot has a prominent place in the first season. It really does. Credits. <laughs> so, like, I and I think you're right because guess who was down there listening when her and Shauna were practicing for the police? It was the parrot. Jason, you've blown my mind. That that was the one. Now I can't wait to cover the rest of the season and see how the parrot plays into it. <laughs> we'll be following Yellow Jackets all season here on X-Ray Vision. Up next, Hive Mind with Scream 6 co-writer Guy Busick.
Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale. Even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch. When it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. Welcome to The Hive Mind, where we explore a topic in more detail with the help of expert guests. This week, we're thrilled to have Guy Busick, co-writer of Scream 6 and 2022's Scream. Hey, Guy, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I, I love Scream so much. I have a Scream tattoo and I'm like a huge, <laughs> nice. yeah, yeah little, little ghost face up there. Oh, Thumbs cool. up. Uh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, so this is just like a a dream. I I love the I loved the new Scream movie, and uh, thank you. I loved Scream, you know, five inverted commas. Uh, I I love the core four. So we're just we're so stoked to have you here. But seeing as this is X Ray Vision, which is our kind of mine and Jason's hub for all the things we love, I'll start with a little bit of a less horror focused question and say, what's your comic book origin? What was the thing that got you into comics and and made you love comic books? I think it was um, Batman 89. It was the summer mm. that that came out. Oh, wow. And I was uh, walking around the mall. I was in a, book, a bookstore and I saw the cover for Death in the Family. And I was like, <laughs> what the hell is that? They killed Robin. <laughs> so I I picked that up and then found out that like people voted for that. For yep. the second Robin Jason Todd <laughs> to die. And, uh, and then I just started buying more Batman comics and graphic novels and compilations like trade paperbacks uh, in anticipation of the movie. So by the time the movie had come out, um, which I saw, I think, seven times in the theater, I'm <laughs> probably 13, I think, that summer. Um, I was kind of caught up on a lot of the, the so-called classics of the era. And then so Batman just got me into like, so Robin's and the Teen Titans. So then I'd get into mm-hmm. the Teen Titans who became the new Titans. Um, and I'd, so I catch up on the new Titans and then Batman was in the justice league. So I'd start reading justice league and it was in that wonderful justice league international era. Yeah. And so, and from there it was like, then I went back and read crisis on infinite earths and I was just a DC head from then on. Mm-hmm. I just got into everything, green lantern, Hawkman, flash, all of it. Um, and some Marvel, but uh, I didn't become like a, a dyed in wool Marvel fan until, the movies until the MCU. Mm, wow. um, there were just a few, only a few characters that I was really invested in for whatever reason. Um, yeah. I love them all uh, in comic book form and in TV and movie form. But uh, for whatever reason, I was really drawn to the DC universe and I still am. I still love those comics and those characters. Well, it, it makes sense thinking about, uh, you know, Batman and particularly mm-hmm. Batman 89, Batman of that era being your, your entry point. Um, <laughs> What about your entry point into horror? What was the thing you've you've worked so much in the horror genre? What was the thing that really got you into horror? You know, I wasn't a horror kid growing up. And wow. I think part of it was that like my parents were a bit protective of like R-rated yeah. movies and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. So that very same summer that Batman came out, um, well, I guess it was the the fall because I met Ryan Murphy, um, my co-writer of Ready or Not, not the Ryan Murphy of American <laughs> Horror Story. Another horror Ryan Murphy. I always have to clarify. <laughs> Ryan Murphy. 
Um, and uh, he was also into Batman and movies and comics and and all that great stuff. I remember we talked about Gotham by Gaslight, this mm. book that had come out that summer, and we that was one of our first bonding points as we were kind of feeling each other out. Like, are we going to be friends? Is this <laughs> are we cool? Are we vibing here? And we became really, really close friends. And he was the horror kid. And so mm. he would, you know, like I could watch all the stuff at his house that I couldn't mm. watch at my own. And it, most of it turned me off. I was like, I just, I don't get it. It's not for mm-hmm. me. I don't really like these characters, blah, blah, blah. And now I look back on a lot of that stuff and I, I'm like, oh, I was so wrong. This is brilliant. <laughs> but as a kid, it just kind of, maybe I was just a little too protected for it at the time. Sure. So it was Scream. You know, oh, ironically, oh, it was, wow. It was, wow. It, I saw it opening day in 1996, and it was the one that blew my mind mm-hmm. uh, with Kevin's just amazing script and yeah. Wes's direction and that cast, that classic, amazing cast. And for the first time, I was like, oh, horror can be fun. It can be mm-hmm. funny. It can be meta. You can have a conversation with your audience. And for the first time, I'm seeing myself in a horror movie as, yeah. you know, Randy, the movie nerd. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's just like, I care about these characters. And when they die, it hurts. It's yeah. not so much about the the killer. It's about the the victims. You're really on their side for once. Um, and it was a murder mystery. It was just like, yeah. how can it be all of these things in a horror movie? And so that's when uh, I think my, my true love started. And then I went back and rewatched a lot of others from yeah. earlier periods. And it was like, okay, yes, now I, I kind of get it. But it, it was like, Scream kind of broke the dam for me. And then the, the fact that they were able to follow that up in 12 months with another great scream. Like we <laughs> really, thought- actually incredible that that happened. Like uh, and really arguably, yeah. arguably one of the best horror sequels of all time. And they did it I within totally a year. <laughs> yeah. Within a year. And I was like, well, they can't, I mean, they must've rushed it. How could it possibly be high quality if it's 12 months later? And they did it again. And I was just like, I just, I am in awe. And so uh, the fact that I'm now, you know, getting to talk to Kevin, work with Kevin on screen mm-hmm. movies is just blowing my 21 year old mind in the past somehow. You know, if I could just go back and say, you're not going to believe this, but <laughs> this movie that changed your life in terms of loving the genre, like you're going to get to work on that someday. I just I, I still can't believe it. I, it's so surreal and I'm pinching myself. And anytime I'm writing a legacy character you know, created by an earlier writer, you know, Kevin in particular, like writing dialogue for Gail and just writing the name Gail. I just get <laughs> shivers. I'm like, how, how did I end up here? This is just a dream. Um, I love, so yeah. I love that so much. And I guess kind of you, could you talk a little bit about like how you did get there? Obviously like ready or not, you had like urge standing against evil, but ready yeah. or not was just such a huge smash. People just, in a way it had its own scream impact. It made people excited for horror. It made people feel like there was something different that you could play with in this world. What was that like for you kind of getting to make this independent, unique take on horror and then having it so well received? Well, that's just really lovely to hear. It just makes me so happy to, to think that people might have had that experience. I know so many people who weren't big horror heads who just absolutely oh, adored wow. it. Yeah. Oh, that really means the, a lot to me. The writing, so I mean, fun. yeah, it was um, it was a confluence of, uh, I mean, it, all the planets aligned. Mm. Basically, you know, Ryan and I, we met, you know, when we were thirteen. We moved out here right after high school. Went to college, mm. uh, different colleges, but we were always, you know, still very close. And then we would write together or write separately for many years. And um, we were working in different genres we were selling pitches for big action um sci-fi things Mm. and they just weren't getting made and so we just made a conscious decision let's just do something smaller low budget genre so you don't need a star you know and horror is just 
it never goes away. It's always going to be popular. And so yep. we settled on that. We came up with the idea, um, I think in like 2013. Wow. And uh, we wrote the spec and um, it didn't set the world on fire. <laughs> <laughs> and so at that point, it's like 2014. It hasn't, it hasn't sold. We slipped it to a few producers, no one bit. So I'm thinking I'm going to quit the business at this point. Wow. And uh, my good friend, James Vanderbilt, Jamie, um, who's my co-writer on Scream uh, 2022 and Scream 6, um, he's a very close friend too. I met him because he went to college with Ryan. Um, so it's just all a very you know, small world kind of a situation. But Jamie was a big fan of that script. It was called Family Ritual at the time, not <laughs> ready or not. And um, the wedding element wasn't part of it mm, believe it or not wow. which is which is pretty much its whole identity yeah, now, that's, it was yeah. Just, especially that final was, shot i yeah. know right the bride with the with the cigarette and all covered in blood um and uh but it was basically like out Al, the alex character bringing grace home to see mm. if he can get permission to marry her and it was like over the easter weekend or something and then get out happened oh and uh, <laughs> I see. it was like well that's already the horror version of meet the parents and so we had to pivot and then we came up with the wedding thing and it was on track. But um, yeah, I mean, it was a slow process. It took about six years from, you know, coming up with the idea to it coming out. Wow. Um, but we found radio silence. They pitched on it. And um, we immediately, when we met them, we knew this is going to be a long and fruitful mm -hmm. partnership. Matt Tyler and Chad are just, we, we all share a very, very similar sensibility. We kind of all have like a hive mind speaking of hive mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I, I love those guys, and I knew that they were the right people for it. And then Searchlight came on board, and like our execs there completely got it. The marketing was great, and it was just really cool. I mean, like, I'm so, that one is always going to hold a special place in my heart, not just because it was my first produced movie. Um, I don't count the other one, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but because it's it was original and it was so different and so odd, mm. and it was a little bit hard to put in a box because it again wasn't just one thing and i always say you know you can draw a straight line from scream to ready or not in yeah. terms of like yeah. hopefully it's a fun ride first and foremost and hopefully it gives you characters or at least one character that you really like and root for and and, and want to see make it through and you know again you mentioned samara it's like that was lightning in a bottle Mm -hmm. it, oh, it, it couldn't have been better casting across the board yeah but wow her performance is just just next level. Um, and so to get to bring her back for Scream 6 yes. was a treat for everybody. You know, I was, I was, I did not get to be on set when she was doing her scenes. Um, I had already come back from, from Montreal, but watching those dailies, my, my wife and I were in stitches because her outtakes, her, you know, her like, her different takes of, of, the, of that scene are just, she's so funny and likable yeah. and goofy. And it's just like, she said that it, that's the, the character uh, that she's played that's closest to her. And I find wow. that just lovely and adorable. I love that. <laughs> so, so how did you get there uh, from Ready or Not to uh, the Scream franchise? What was, you know, how did that uh, kind of evolve? That was a, a, a very strange story. And it's one of those <laughs> things that never happens in this business. And I consider myself one of the luckiest people on earth uh, because of it. It's um, my good friend, Jamie, who I mentioned uh, I met uh, when we were 18 and freshmen at different colleges. Um, he has a company called Project X Entertainment that has produced these uh, screen movies. And they had a deal with Spyglass um, Media Group where I think it was just for TV, but they kind of had a general meeting with, with Gary Barber, who owns and runs it. 
And um, they had acquired some of the old Weinstein company assets, uh, Scream being mm-hmm. the kind of the the main one, like the big one yeah. that he really wanted to do something with. And Jamie's been a longtime Scream fan too. And he had met Kevin Williamson early in his career. And Kevin was very, very kind and supportive of him when he was sort of a baby writer. And uh, so Jamie was like, well, I would really like to try something with that. And Gary was like, well, would you write it? And he said, <laughs> yeah. And so they walked out of that meeting and they had Scream. Wow. And okay. <laughs> he, he, he knew he didn't want to, he knew it was, he wanted radio silence and he knew mm-hmm. he didn't want to do it by himself. And he he picked me because I, you know, he knows how much reverence I have for the franchise and how much love I have for, for Kevin and, and Wes and those uh, first four movies. And um, I think he was also a little busy at the time. So he was like, if I could split the work, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. And so he called me and I was in New York, which is kind of funny because we ended up doing <laughs> six in New York. Uh, but I was on my wedding anniversary uh, with my wife. It was our 10-year anniversary. We had just come out of a play. I saw that he had called. I was worried that one of our many projects together had fallen apart. And I <laughs> didn't want to call him back. And I was like putting it off. And I called him and he just said, hey, uh, so all the projects are fine. Because he knows me and he knows that's what my brand is. And he goes, he goes do you want to write Scream 5 with me? And I just, my jaw oh, dropped. <laughs> and, you know, I was just in shock for like the next hour. And so I came back and we watched the four movies in person together, came up with our wish list of like, what do we as fans want to see in a screen movie? Like if this is the last one we ever get, Mm -hmm. what is it? How do we as fans create something that we would love? And we were just completely in sync and it was so easy to work together. And not saying that the scripts were always easy, but I think a lot of the ideas just kind of came to both of us independently. And we were sort of surprised to be like, oh, you thought of that too? Oh my God. Okay. Mm -hmm. We're really of one mind on this thing. And writing that, that, you know, first draft of five didn't take long at all. It was just like, we kind of whipped through it in just a few weeks. Um, and that's that was that was how I, I was just invited. It doesn't wow, happen like that. It just so I dream. didn't have to pitch on it. It is the dream, you know. It was just here it is, and uh, you know, I, I'm I'm grateful that he had the put the trust and faith in me that I could do it. And uh, you know, now we've done two together, and mm-hmm. seems to be working out. So I, you know, <laughs> I'm very very grateful and very proud. Yeah, like what? So what was it like then to not only get to play in this sandbox? Then you're getting the <laughs> legacy characters back. Then the movie comes out and people just love it and it makes a ton of money, which is kind of your dream in this really hard time for cinema and kind of cinematic distribution. Scream is a hit. It's a hit on a small budget. What was that experience like? Uh, Relief. (laughs) 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 It just... (laughs) We we just thought if anyone's going to ruin the franchise at least let it be a couple of guys who absolutely love it and want to protect it and <laughs> and yet we didn't want to ruin it and so when yeah. it came out and it did connect with with you know longtime fans and new fans and did well financially it was just it was a huge relief we didn't break the thing that we mm-hmm. loved you know we, we actually were able to contribute and keep this thing alive um and not just put it back on like life support but it was well received and people mm-hmm. wanted more and people did like you know the new characters and so it was just gratifying. I just I felt very, again, just relieved that we didn't ruin it mm-hmm. and like create the wor- yeah. the one that just killed it forever. Um, <laughs> and and yeah, I was I was proud that we'd pulled it off because it had been eleven years, you know, since four, and people really had kind of moved on from it. And Kevin had moved on from it, by the mm-hmm. way. Was like a lot of people involved had moved on from it. We had no guarantee that we were going to get those legacy actors back. Mm-hmm. We just kind of were like we blind faith. We write it. 
We try to write the characters as being in different places than we've seen them before. So it gives them something new to play. We know they love each other mm-hmm. and we know they love, you know, Wes and Kevin, but it was a leap to think that they would want to do a screen movie without Wes. Yeah. And so we just, we had to take a shot and, you know, we got them and we were thrilled. We did, we weren't sure we were going to, and we got them and they came back and that was, um, like I was said before, like writing dialogue for Sidney Prescott or Gail Weathers yeah. or Oof. Dewey Riley was, you know, it was just a trip. Um, I would imagine there are certain challenges to uh, bringing back this franchise that are unique. You know, you've got to have that uh, that killer cold open. You've got to be able to play with the tropes of the form in a way mm-hmm. that is entertaining. You've got to have a great murder mystery. Uh, what what were some of the things that, as you're watching these four movies in a row, mm-hmm. you thought, okay, we got to do this. Mm-hmm. We got to do that. Mm-hmm. I think it's just the the formula has always been the same, but with different, it's like certain elements of it are dialed up or dialed down. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that we really looked at was let's make it really legitimately scary again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because it, some of the meta got turned up a little higher in three and four. Um, so, and not to say there weren't wonderful scares in three and four, but yeah. I didn't feel some of the, I don't even know how to put it, but just that gut level, like, you want to feel the kills. Terror. You want to feel, feel the, the kills. kills. Like Wes's yeah, yeah. death in five. I think about it a lot. You feel that yeah. it's horrible. Well, yeah, yeah, no, it truly is. That was a, that was a rough one <laughs> to think <laughs> of and write and shoot. And yeah. Dylan really was so good in it that it was like, oh God, that's really hard to watch. But uh, another thing we went back to was really making sure the audience knew that these there are stakes again mm-hmm. and we went back to two and we we're like we didn't nobody wanted randy to die mm-hmm. that was yeah. terrible and midpoint in the movie you know randy our our sort of audience identification character in many ways as being the movie nerd is taken from us and and then three and four you know the core three the the, the big three make it through and we were like i think we're gonna have to kill one Oof. and it was a really rough conversation because we love those characters and dewey has always been my personal favorite and so that was a brutal realization to go i think that's correct for this story mm-hmm. um because it, it solved a lot of story problems for him to die um because why else would sydney come back to woodsboro ever <laughs> um, <laughs> literally like ever <laughs> there would be no reason nothing could get her there except for you know avenging her friend, you know, mm-hmm. and so that yeah. it made sense. And it would also, you know, Gail obviously would then have a real and the audience would be really, really pissed off. Yeah. And um, but yeah, it's like it's coming up with the murder mystery. It's coming. I think the hardest things are always who is it and why? Mm-hmm. What's the motive? Um, and because the motive is always of the time and it's yeah. all, they're always very, you know, very good, very smart. And I love like Joe Roberts in, in four, you know, it's like, I don't want it's my favorite. friends. I want fans. My favorite. You know? Yeah. I, I love Joe. Emma just absolutely killed it. Yeah. Yes, yeah, she did. And uh, I completely agree. And so that was another one where it was like, that's very of the time of, you know, social media becoming, it's just blowing up in, you know, 2010, 2011 uh, into what it's become now. And so for us, it was like, okay, how do we, these movies always have a conversation with their audience and they always comment on not just, horror tropes of the time, but also just pop culture, yeah. horror as a genre, mm-hmm. movies in general, you know? And so it was like, once we kind of found that toxic fandom angle, so good. that was <laughs> something that we had been witnessing in the last few years, that it was just, 
we're like, okay, that's it. That's what we have to say right now. Mm-hmm. And it works perfectly in a screen movie, which is a movie about movies and fans. <laughs> and so it, it really clicked. Um, and then in terms of, you know, the killers, it was like, we so much of five is an homage to one mm-hmm. and we just thought it would be really fun to go back to the boyfriend and have it be you know we wrote that part <laughs> i love Richie, how much he know. looks he looks <laughs> as soon as you cost jack quaid you're like he's got to be the killer right and then yeah. you're like well well no that would be too obvious and i love that it's you guys are like no he's the killer <laughs> like, literally well, him and we copied that from one yeah. because Skeet, yeah. Skeet and Matthew are telling you over and over again, in the movie and again, that they are the killers. Yeah. And yet they pull it off and it's still a shock when, when they're the killers. And that's just Kevin's brilliant writing yeah. and Wes's directing and, and those performances by those two iconic actors. But um, yeah, it was like, let's, let's do that. Let's play, try to do that same magic trick where it's like, Oh, it's gotta be him. Oh no. And now it definitely can't be him. Oh God, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I was right the first time. Okay. Also, I, I, this, I know we haven't even gotten to six yet, but like, I just need to ask, cause you talked about Skeet. I screamed the first time in five when you <laughs> revealed like the daughter of Billy Loomis and kind of bringing back Skeet as this other legacy character. Could you talk a little bit about that choice? Like, did you get any pushback on that? Cause it's real late stage horror movie sequel stuff, which is why I loved yeah. it. But was that something that people were like, it's not going to work. It's too out there. Like we need our final girl to be pure and kind of follow those older rules. Absolutely. I think not so much on the Billy Loomis's illegitimate daughter. Um, we didn't get a lot of pushback on that. We got a lot of pushback on the idea that we would actually see. Billy. Sleep. Yeah. And yeah. they were nervous and mm. we understood why. But there were conversations and they said, if you, you know, if he agrees to do it, do it. We may not end up using any of it. Mm. And, you know, it may be a voiceover. It may not be any kind of dialogue with Billy at all. And then once they saw it, nobody ever brought it up again. (laughs) And I will say one thing about the pushback was um, that gave us confidence that we were doing the right thing by trying it at least was we pitched the whole thing to Kevin. And he maybe even read the draft at that point. And he said, the one thing that doesn't feel like a Scream movie is this seeing the sort of phantom Billy that's in her head. And he's like, that's why I think you have to do it. Mm. Oh, wow. And that was like, oh, thank you. You just gave us the best kind of permission to go and try something. It's a big swing. You know, Mm -hmm. as you said, it could have gone horribly wrong. If it had, it wouldn't have made it in there. But yeah, I mean, Billy and Stu are you know, as much a reason for the success of that movie and for kind of the love of the franchise as any of the other cast members, you know, they, Skeet and Matthew just, I mean, I was quoting them on the way to the car after my first screening <laughs> of it, you know, cause they were so, I mean, those performances are just the, the stuff of legends. So we were, Jamie and I got really excited at the idea that um, this is Billy's legacy and Billy's going to be in it mm. and Sydney's going to have to come face to face with Billy's daughter who, you know, he got, Sam's mother pregnant while he was with Sydney, mm-hmm. most likely because she refused to sleep with him. <laughs> and so he went outside of that relationship and uh, here we go. And mm-hmm. uh, to have those two women fighting side by side was just kind of, um, we thought that was, it just gave us um, the giggles. We thought that yeah. <laughs> we were like, wouldn't kind of a thing. Yeah. <laughs> how, how early in the process did the idea of having a family of, of killers uh, come to be? That was pretty early. Um, and I will say, you know, full transparency, it, we didn't always know it was Richie's family. Oh, um, wow. But we did love the idea of three ghost faces. And it's kind of a hard overcome 
to imagine three people being like-minded enough that they'd want to go on right. killing sprees mm-hmm, together mm-hmm. and have the same motive. And so we came up with family, I think, out of the desire to want to do three for the first time. Yeah. And then it really finally clicked when we were like, there's there's something that's not because we also wanted the motive in six to be primal and not sort of intellectual mm-hmm. because the motive in five was about an idea, about yeah. movies, about wanting my favorite franchise to get back on track. So I'm going to help out. And it's not really primal. It's just more of an intellectual exercise. So with this one, we're like, it's got to be something really, really uh, someone has to hate Sam. And then, mm-hmm. it, you know, not a huge leap to get from there. To, <laughs> this is this is a family full of psychos. And this father is just <laughs> so <laughs> twisted. All of his kids ended up this way. Yeah. Um, and you notice that Jack Champion, you know, plays Ethan, looks a lot like Jack Quaid. He does look like him. Like, I thought that was why I recognized him. Then I realized it was Avatar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but he, Avatar, yeah. Yeah, he really people, does I mean, look like him. He really, you know, sprouted up since Avatar. I mean, he's just like this really tall, <laughs> good-looking guy, and not, not, you know, obviously he's great in Avatar, but he's just kind of a kid, and he really mm-hmm. sprouted up. This was the first thing he did after Avatar, and wow. it was like his second set after like years and years <laughs> on the the James Cameron movies. Um, but like, it, they look so much alike. I one of I can't remember if it was Jamie or William or one of Radio Silence said, "Don't stand together on the red carpet. People will figure it out." <laughs> <laughs> that's so good and I it love, was funny yeah I love as well like there's so many parallels here with Scream 2 not yeah. even like from the quickness that you guys made the sequel to then having them <laughs> in this different location to then having you know the end be in uh, theater to this so that family connection makes a lot of sense because of Billy's mom being the killer in, in 2 were one of the killers so could you talk a little bit how early did you realize this was also going to be not just a Scream movie but like a Scream 2 kind of reaction and response and homage we actually tried to dial that back you know oddly um i think it was we just didn't want to be seen as sort because you know obviously one was very very uh five was very similar to one mm-hmm. and so we wanted now that we've kind of hopefully done what we set out to do which is like remind people what scream is why it's different why it's cool and here are the new characters we wanted to i mean it's very goofy but our sort of internal log line was if we were playing the hits in five, then six is the punk rock B side, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we wanted to do our own thing and take really big swings. And so, we we didn't. Other than the college setting, we didn't really consciously think about all that stuff. And it's funny because in talking to fans now or friends or or doing interviews, there's a lot of nods to two that we weren't even aware of. We knew that the uh, Mrs. Loomis and uh, Wayne Bailey connection mm-hmm. was there, mm-hmm. and it's like he's only the second like grown up. Ghost face that we've had the franchise, and he's so, so good and unhinged. <laughs> he's so great, and he's the funniest guy in person. Um, so we knew that was there, and then the theater thing actually gave us pause because mm. originally that 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 shrine museum was just in a warehouse somewhere, mm. and they couldn't find a, a location in Montreal that that really worked. Like nothing just felt right, yeah. and so the location scout showed uh, Radio Silence that, and they were like, "We think this is it," and Jamie and I were like. I don't know. That's, <laughs> we don't want to look like we're just copy pasting from <laughs> from two. And so we went out to Montreal to look at it and we went, okay, it's going to feel different enough. And it yeah. has this creepy, different kind of vibe. Um, but yeah, it's I, it's funny how much of two made it in there without even conscious Trying. knowledge. Maybe it was something, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. So I'm happy about that because it is kind of a neat echo. Um, yeah. But 
we almost try to go the other way where it's like, let's make sure we're not just doing two, right? Yeah, (laughs) I think the opening does a great, the cold open does a great job of switching it up by having that reveal and kind of doing something very different and having that who the fuck cares about the movies. So after that, you're very intellectually far away from two, but it's just after seeing it a couple of times, I was like, oh, they're awesome. This is a movie that loves two as well. <laughs> it really is, yeah. And other people have pointed that out as well. Um, but yeah, that was the thing that got us really excited was that opening. And the the very bizarre thing about the opening is that Jamie and I came up with that independently of each other. And we came to our first meeting to talk about what Scream 6 should be. And we had both written down that we start. It, we knew it was going to be New York. We'd already decided that. But we were like, okay, I think I pitched him first on our, our, our first Zoom. And I was like, okay, this is going to sound weird. But let's do like, a, imagine a traditional scream opening, phone call, you know, uh, but it's New York. So it already feels a little different, but, you know, more or less traditional. And then he's got the last line and does the slash and you think we're going to go to the title card like always. And then we just hold on him for an uncomfortably long time. And then he takes the mask off and then we follow the killer to the point where you might think for a second, if you knew nothing about the movie, is this from Ghostface's point of view? (laughs) And then that guy who's kind of doing it for traditional reasons, like carrying on the previous killer's work or whatever, like I want to finish Richie's movie, like that guy gets killed by a really scary Ghostface who doesn't care about movies at all. (laughs) And and I, I, he got this kind of look on his face, and I was like, oh, he hates it. That's stupid. Never mind. And he holds up his notepad, and he's got it written down, like, traditional kill, Ghostface takes off mask, we follow Ghostface, wow. Ghostface killed. And we're like, whoa, okay, we're really <laughs> sharing a brain on this one. That wow. is so cool. Uh, finally, you know, the horror genre, uh, we talk about Scream Queens. The the queen of Scream is uh, Sydney herself, Nev Campbell. Uh, yeah. Recently, uh, Skeeter Ulrich was quoted as saying that uh, he had a conversation with her and she really liked the, the latest edition in the well, franchise. That means a lot to me. yeah. yeah, that must feel good. Eddie, would you ever, nope, no strings attached, would you ever <laughs> think about bringing, bringing Sydney back? Unfortunately, it's always out of our hands. Mm-hmm. I mean, these things just like as much as people were mad at Radio Silence or us for it's, for it's studio, sitting, right? Yeah, it's it's, it's not it's not up to us. And so mm-hmm. even at the script stage, people are like, "Well, at least write her in." And it's like, no, we're told who is going to mm-hmm. you know be available, who they you know what. So it's really out of our hands. I mean, all I can say to that is, I love the character Sidney Prescott. I love yeah. Nev Campbell as an actor. Um, I think she is synonymous with the Scream franchise. As a fan, I would really love to see Sydney come back. Um, <laughs> exactly. So as a person involved in Scream movies, I can't say, but as a fan outside <laughs> yeah. of it, it's like, even if it's not me, even if it's years from now, mm-hmm. I want to see that. So yeah. I hope that, you know, that can happen at some point in time because it's Sydney, you know? Yeah. Guy Busick, thank you so much. Thank for you so much. It was so much fun. Congratulations on your success. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Here's to the next one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Up next, Nerd Out. In today's Nerd Out, where you tell us what you love and why, or a theory you're excited to share, Lucas pitches us on Becky Chambers' Monk and Robot series. 
Jason, Rosie, everybody at X-Ray Vision. My name's Lucas Adams. Uh, I wanted to first off say thank you so much for the podcast. I really, really love it. Uh, I think um, I've learned an incredible amount about sci-fi, fantasy, comic books, and everything. Um, I love Nerd Out. I wanted to share my Nerd Out, which is a series of books thus far. It's two. I think there'll be more. Uh, called the Monk and Robot series by Becky Chambers. The first book is A Psalm for the Wild Built. The second book, which just came out a few weeks ago, is called A Prayer for the Crown Shy. And the first book, A Psalm for the Wild Built, basically we have used robots to build up our world, almost destroy our world, and they have gained sentience and they leave. They simply, as a group, decide to head out into the world, into the wilds, and be by themselves, forcing us to face our own existence without them. Um, luckily, we make a lot of really good choices that help save ourselves, but uh, it doesn't come without some struggle. Um, this book, however, is uh, about a tea monk, as they're known in this world, named Sibling Dex, and they decide to... Uh, explore the world in a different way and go out into the wild where they come across a robot named Mosscap. And the robot has been sent by other robots to see how humanity is doing and basically to ask the question, what do humans need? And so they build a relationship with one another. They explore their relationships with themselves and the world, both the natural and built world uh, as it was and as it is now. And, um, then in the second book, they continue this journey. And I don't want to give away too much. I just, it is two short, wonderful meditations on technology and our uh, living, breathing earth and our relationship to it and ourselves and the other people around us. And, and in this case, robots. Um, I highly recommend it. I highly recommend Becky Chambers. She also wrote the Wayfarer series, which is a really fun uh space travel action series that also asks some really great relationship uh, questions about relationships with ourselves and other species and our place in the world and how we treat those around us and how we experience uh, things and people and other things that are different from us. Um, I think everybody would really like it and I'm so happy to share it. Uh, again, thank you all so much for everything you do. I love your podcast. Have a great day. Thanks, Lucas. If you have theories or passions that you want to share, hit us up, x-ray at crooked.com. Instructions in the show notes, as always. That's it for us. A big thank you to Guy Busick. Rosie, any plugs? Plug, 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 plug. You can find me at Rosie Marks on Instagram and Letterboxd, the usual places. I have a newsletter. The link will be in the show notes. And you can find me here. If you want to read about Yellow Jackets and all my wild theories and citizen detecting, you can find that at IGN. And I've got a lot of stuff at DC.com at the moment. So go there too. Primo. Yes, dropping May yes, 19th yes, yes, on yes. Amazon Freebie. You can watch it for free. It's right there in a name freebie. freebie with ads, just like the just like the old times. But of course, if you're an Amazon Prime subscriber, you can get it uh, without the ads. Actually, Maybe. I don't know how I that works. I don't know about that. It's I don't actually know how it works. But May nineteenth, just put that in your brain, and you better watch it. I've got the screeners, so I can say it's good. <laughs> And of course, subscribe on YouTube where you can watch full episodes of our show, X-Ray Vision. And don't forget to follow at XRVPod on Twitter and check out the Discord to meet and hang out with lots of amazing folks, fans, listeners, and Rosie and I. Us, we're there. 
Five star ratings, five star five reviews. Stars, five stars, we five love stars. them. You gotta give them to us. Here's one from Jam064, my favorite podcast at the moment. It's funny and informative in many ways. I could listen to Jason and Rosie talk about anything. Five star pod. Thank five, you, five, Jam064. Five, five. X-ray Vision is a crooked media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin. The show is executive produced by myself and Sandy Gerard. Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Dylan Villanueva and Matt DeGroote provide video production support. Alex Relaford handles social media. Thank you, Brian Vasquez, for a theme music. We'll see you next time. Bye. Hey, Mike, this is his stop from Reed. Yeah, I'm just calling uh, on behalf of your state senator, Thaisa Turner, on phone back. And listen, uh, I understand we just had an election, Mike, but it's not too early to start thinking about the next cycle. Now, you might be hearing some spurious rumors about uh, pet decapitation. Uh, Those are all being put out there by uh, the, uh, the senator's disgruntled partner. There's nothing to that. There's no cult stuff. No eating of dirt, no climbing of trees, no strange behaviors, no talking to herself. Uh, that's all I have to say, Mike. Vote Tysa Turner in the next election. We're happy to have your support. Uh, I'll take my answer off the air. Thank you. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently acapella.edu. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. Miracle Grow is simply the best. 